1: You are now inside the play call with Orange Arrow. And I'm your host, Sean Robinson. And today we have a very, very mm-hmm. special guest, Christopher Chris Wilson, aka K dub, aka <laughs> Chill, aka Chris <laughs> with the K. What's up, boss? How are you?
0: Your life is good, man. I ain't got no complaints.
1: I I, I could
0: I, I could complain, but don't nobody want to hear me complain.
1: <laughs> hey so i said aka chill do you remember why i call you chill
0: i know exactly why you call me chill bro but yeah. i don't look nothing like that dude
1: <laughs> <laughs> what dude you talking about a hey, house party i already know right <laughs> the dude chill yeah for the, the party man you know how it is man we are in college trying to come up with jokes i mean you look like chill man so it kind of stuck okay, a little bit
0: okay. It kept bumping the table.
1: Right, right. <laughs> kept man, bumping great, the DJ table. Man, that was a great movie. What's your favorite part of that movie?
0: Uh, gotta be um, um, who was it? Full Force. Oh, okay. Whenever, whenever Full Force came on the scene, it was and they was. You smell that?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> I smell. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. It Classic, man. So uh, we're gonna get to. You know, when we were teammates, speaking of teammates, man, one of our teammates who turned brother to both of us, uh, our guy Lusaka Polite, he just had a, uh, he and his wife just had a, another baby girl the other day recently. You're a girl dad. Speak to us about being a girl dad, man.
0: Um, you know, I, I think everybody's um, experience is a little bit different, but it, but for me personally, what's unique about my journey, um, and, you know, my fatherhood journey is that I spent most of my life surrounded by boys and men. Like at every turn, I had I had all I I had a sister, but I was I had my brothers that was living with me most of the time. All my cousins, all my cousins was boys. I played sports. It was always guys and men around at all times. So you know, having to um sort of transition and be raising girls is like there's a there's a learning curve you know and and there's sensitivity training and so it's it it definitely forced me to grow and expand and understand how to see the world um from a perspective that's not a male perspective you know and that was that was important for for my growth and it's it's still important for my growth you know you go in you come into it thinking that you're going to impart all this knowledge and impart all this wisdom but i think people underestimate the amount of learning right and what, what you're giving in the process you know you you so when you when you worry about being a parent you're so focused on what you're going to give that you
1: sometimes underestimate um what you what you're gonna learn through the process? Mm, that's healthy. That's healthy. That's good. Yeah, that's good insight. So I'm not a um, I'm not a dad yet. Hope to be. And so um, yeah, I, I love to revisit that conversation when I when I join join the ranks of you and Lusaka. Look forward to it. No, it, it,
0: it may it make you look in the mirror, man, a lot because whether you have a girl or a boy, it's like you get tested in certain ways and you wonder why your child is doing the things that they're doing. But then you got to look in the mirror and be like, man, I did that when I was young or I still do that now. Right. 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 In, in, in my own little way. So it's a it's a reckoning and it's a it's it, it forces you to look at yourself and be honest about the things that you need to
1: work on. You know what I mean? As well. I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. I'm going to play a song. Let's see if you can recognize this song. Then I explain right. why I'm playing it.
0: Dear summer, I know you're gonna miss me. But we've been together it? like night airs and crisp tees. And lake with the logo. We'll let it breathe secret, a little bit. The logo secret. In, th- I might just sneak in a couple words and like peaches and herbs. We've been reunited and it feels so hard. Had the whole world saying, oh, I still so good.
1: Oh, I still so good. I still so good. So you know what it is. Do you know why I played that song? Uh, no, nah, I don't know why you play it right now. Smell of summer, uh, bro. That project that you wrote and directed was incredible. You know, I, I was blown away, blown it. away, man. We're going to talk about that a little longer. I mean, a little later in the podcast, but I had to at the top of the podcast give you a shout and love for that, man. I'm, I'm in awe of uh, of your work, your creativity. I mean, you've been like that since I've known you, man. But to see you evolved. And to be able to your storytelling, second and none, man. So shout out to you, man. Smell of summer. Appreciate that, man. Dear summer. You see how I tied it in summer. together? <laughs> <laughs> hey, check. So here we go. A Couple warm up questions. If you're going to listen okay. to one music artist for 30, 30 days straight, who would that artist be?
0: Um 30 days
1: straight, I'm going
0: um, I'm going Bob Marley.
1: Bob Marley? Okay, I dig that. I dig that. I dig that. Next one. Next one. Favorite TV show of all time.
0: Mm, of all time, I'm I'm going uh Cosby show.
1: The Cosby show. Favorite episode, or at least one that come to mind.
0: The one that always come to mind is when uh the episode where the men. Had to, were, they had a dream that the men were pregnant and had to deliver babies. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I remember that one. That was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, you know, another classic when they was uh, when they were on the stairs, baby. That one. I was. That's a, That's what I was thinking of too, bro. Yeah. That's a good one. Hey, you don't remember though when Rudy was playing football and she had that that dance. It was like sweet,
0: tea, sweet, tea. Touch yeah. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Yeah, man. That was that was my show, bro.
1: That's, that's what I'm saying. Go ahead, talk to me.
0: No, nah, I, I was just reiterating you as it was it was a good show it would bring back memories.
1: Definitely, definitely. So, favorite place you visited? Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, I know you world travel. Yeah. So, Brazil. Yeah. How many times have you visited Brazil?
0: Yeah, uh, countless. Um maybe
1: over 3? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 3. All right, Brazil, Brazil, cool. So let's take you back. Let's take us back, man. Talk about your hometown. Where are you from? Your little, your upbringing. Share.
0: I'm from Harrisburg, PA, uptown. Um, spent my early sort of formative years of childhood uptown, Harrisburg. Um, just trying to trying to just trying to be a kid and trying to play. And it's funny that you mentioned Smell of Summer because. With the film that I wrote, Smell of Summer, I really drew on my own childhood and sort of running around in the hood. I'm raised by a single mom who um, was a teenage mom um, who had she had two kids by the time she was 17. I didn't come along to the time till till she was about 25. Uh, But she was dealing with a lot of issues at home. And so a lot of my early childhood was watching her get up out of a bad struggling situation and and really watching her get on her feet and create a life for herself. So I was fortunate in that way. And then we moved, we ended up moving to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And, um, my time in Lancaster, Pennsylvania was, uh, it was also formative in a way that like, that sort of opened me up to different cultures because a lot of people don't know that Lancaster's sort of minority community is there's more Puerto Ricans than blacks so this is my first time in a Spanish neighborhood um, sort of learning that culture and, and, and developing friends, childhood friends, teenage friends that I still hold to this day so by the time um, going there going to Wharton and Reynolds and McCaskey High School um, I went to Pitt from Lancaster, so a lot of the, a lot of my sort of personality at that time and swag at that time that I brought to pit was was sort of a combination of both. But I was fresh up out of Lancaster, PA, which was um, had a whole bunch of sort of migrants from uh, New York and New Jersey in that town. Um, and I was a migrant from Harrisburg, grew up with migrants from Chicago and stuff like that. So it was kind of one of those places where people from other places gravitated towards for the jobs, and I ended
1: up going to Pitt and doing the Pittsburgh thing with you. There it is. There it is. Well, so two things there. Your mom. Let's shout out to your mom. I know your mom, an incredible woman. Shout out, shout out to her. Uh, the other thing uh, you Appreciate. spoke about the, the diverse community. Like, can you speak Spanish? Do you
0: speak Spanish? My brother, my brother, um, speaks spoke Spanish and became a Spanish teacher, and so he influenced me um, to learn languages. So I, I dabbled in Spanish a little bit, but I really ended up learning Portuguese when I started traveling traveling to Brazil. Um, I took it upon myself to learn how to speak the Portuguese language, and I I credit my brother for that because if I didn't watch him learn spanish and you know be, be able to sort of thrive and and in, in the spanish hood and, and have his little girlfriends and all of that right like, i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have had the confidence in myself to be like oh yo i could learn another language it's nothing i saw my brother do it you know so and so you know, speak
1: portuguese dig it dig it so we uh we're going to talk about football but any other sports you played in high school
0: all of them i mean i played so, well, maybe not necessarily in high school. By the time I got to high school, I was playing football. I played basketball. I played um, baseball and I played uh, track.
1: Wow. Um, I jumped. All four you years or? How did that? Yes. Wow. Um, you are busy all year. Yeah, well, but and before high school, I, I,
0: I dabbled in wrestling a little bit because in seventh grade, I got cut from the basketball team and, but I just wanted to stay active. My journey started with baseball though. Like I was a base I was from the time I was a kid, I was a baseball lover. I started out playing baseball, loving baseball, collecting baseball
1: cards. Um Who's your favorite baseball player? Friends. Frank Thomas, no doubt. Frank Thomas, Frank Thomas. I was a Ricky Henderson yeah. guy. I was no Ricky guy. Henderson. Yeah. Man, you couldn't tell me anything. Still in baseball, like i that was my thing growing up too. Shortstop and center field. What positions what position or positions did you play?
0: I play I play first base in outfield, so I wasn't really, eh, you know, short. You you quicker than me, so like you know you already know like to play second base and shortstop you gotta be extra quick. Um, third base and, and first base is a little bit of um, different skill set or whatever, but yeah, I enjoy playing first base and I play all of the positions in the outfield, and I I gravitated towards. Athletes that played more than one sport. So, sort of, my heroes when I was young was Bo Jackson, Jackson, Deion Sanders. um Any any athlete that I could find that played more than one sport and at the pro level, I was like, yo, wow, he 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 pro in one thing and he pro in another thing. Like I, so I read Bo Jackson's book. I had Deion Sanders posters up in my room and all that.
1: I dig it. Yeah, those are two greats there. Two greats. When you say Bo Jackson, I think uh, Tecmo Bowl. Man, that dude was unstoppable in Tecmo Bowl. Unstoppable.
0: And I I got him in in front. And I say that to say that's the reason why I love Frank Thomas because Frank Thomas made it to the major leagues to play baseball, but when he was in college at Auburn, he played football. He played tight end and he played first base.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so... The uh, recruiting process, going to high school. We know you went to Pitt. What other schools were you considering going to? Mostly, mostly Big East schools and um,
0: schools on the East Coast. So I wasn't like a, I wasn't a nationally recruited athlete. Uh, I got letters from all over the country, but I only got serious interest from the Syracuse's and West Virginias, Maryland. Um, On the D1 level Um, You know D1AA level Of course Like Buffalo And Delaware Buffalo was 1AA At the time Buffalo Delaware You know Schools like that But um, As far as D1 schools That really show Heavy interest Pitt was The very first Mm. And so that was That was a big reason Why I felt some type Of like loyalty to them even going into my visit because I felt like they was the first ones to recognize in me that you know I could play division one and I had my own little hang-ups with that because I was playing for a head coach at the time who he wasn't he wasn't good at encouraging our dreams so so for me you know he told me straight up like you're not going you, you're probably not gonna play at the division one level wow like, you, the most that you could hope for is to play um, Division Two or One Double A, but I wouldn't even worry. so he wouldn't give us our letters. Are you serious? It, yeah, some real like you know, in Lancaster at that time wasn't um, this is, there was racial stuff going on too, and I can't I'm not I can't attribute it to you know some of the issues that they was having um, in that town, but I can't say that. A lot of the um minority athletes at my high school that came before me complained about the same thing. Like they was playing for a head coach who would like hoard all the letters. He wouldn't even show the kids the letters because he wouldn't want them to. Basically, he wouldn't want them to feel themselves too much. Wow. You know what I mean? So he he told he he, he said straight up like probably you, you're not going to be a D1 athlete. You're probably at best going to be a Division two or one double A athlete and i ended up taking it to the league so i that's why i if, if he if he ain't say that to me i wouldn't even i wouldn't even bring it up but is it, it i have to mention it because it was sort of a part of the reason why i felt that loyalty to pit because i'm like it was it was proof. it was like nah i told you like they they are they're they're interested in me right. and they want me to come here so like for them to for them to show that type to, to be the first school to show that type of interest in me, I felt like and they and they and they recruited me honestly and it was Coach Freeman. I was gonna Coach ask Freeman you, okay, Tom out. Freeman, okay. Yeah, Tom Freeman came out and he was he was very forthcoming. He was very honest and he was very excited um, and had a lot of belief in me and my abilities. And so I felt like. It was just a good fit even before i went on my visit i was just like nah these are the people that have been rocking with me from the beginning they saw something from me and,
1: in me from the beginning so I, that's where i need to be and so i know you play receiver and linebacker in high school correct yeah and so did they recruit you as a tight end or was linebacker in the cards at all when we going to pit
0: i i i came to pit to play linebacker oh i think
1: i, that. A, okay. I didn't know that
0: okay i didn't know that on, on on defense, I played everything on the field. I was just like a, I was sort of a tweener. I was like a jack of all trades. My senior year, they they had me at safety, they had me at linebacker, and they had me at DN. Um, I was just running around all over the field, depending on who we played against and what their strength was. Um, but as you know, we had Coach Coyer, um, Larry Coyer, right. And so, I, me, what I learned about myself over the course of my long football career is that. I never come to camp in shape. Like I'm notorious for. I'm notorious for being in the back of every line until like until like maybe like five six days in the camp, and then I start getting into it. But like I be, I I know my ability, and I know in the back of my head, like, nah, I'm straight. I'm finna be in the front of the line in like a couple of days. Just chill. I'm just not in shape right now. But as you know, dealing with Coach Coyer he was on top of us. So when I was in the back, when I came to play linebacker and I was in the back of every line at Johnstown he was on me. You will never play linebacker for me, and uh oh, you this is not going to happen. Blah. And so while he was sort of like trying to, he was trying to motivate me with his tough coaching style right. and his pipe in his mouth. Um, we had a we had a need at tight end, right? And we had a we had a we had a brilliant offensive coach, and so he was like, all right. You played receiver Your senior year in high school Um, The tight end position is changing Right now, like a lot of teams Are wanting smaller, faster tight ends That got hands So like, what do you think about coming over To this side of the ball And playing tight end Like, realistically Like, you could start pretty soon Like, depending on how quickly you Get caught up to speed And so I got him sort of Seducing me in this year, right? And I got coach, I got coach Coria in this year. The total opposite, he not seducing, right? I'm gonna go play tight end. So, um, that was that was one
1: of the best decisions that I made in my career, bro.
0: Wow, and oh, that's
1: incredible, that's incredible. And so, Pitt, you were an econ major, hmm. talk to us about that. How did you balance being a student athlete? major in the econ? Well, you know, I, school, school work,
0: school work had never really been a, a problem for me, I guess you could say. Like, I, I've always sort of been a bright guy. I just didn't have the discipline um, and the motivation to want to excel in school. And um, want to excel in anything, really, because I, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know that path. I didn't know that that work ethic and things like that. Um, I watched it. I saw my mom do it, but I, I I learned at Pitt how to work, you know, and how to take pride in your work and how to strive for excellence, you know, instead of just being middle of the pack. I spent high school just trying to be mediocre, mm. and that was. Um, even even but in and, and God, you know, through no fault of my own, through no like through God's God, grace, God. I could say, like mediocre for me was still doing better than a lot of people, right? like in sports and in school. So yeah. I could go in and I, I could go and clown around with a bunch of guys for 25 minutes out of the 30 minute period, and then in the last five minutes, woo, 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 <laughs> here you go. And at least get like a B minus or something like that. And so I was more so trying to scheme the scheme the system rather than like put my best foot forward and and do the best that I could do. You know. Yeah,
1: that's good. That's good. So let's think. So staying with Pitt, which one or two of your fondest memories at Pitt, whether it's on or off the field. You know,
0: it's it's tough to narrow it down to a uh, a member. I, off the field, I would just I would just say the guys. Like my whole my whole football experience, what I miss the most is um, the locker room in the dormitory and the, the the camaraderie and bond that's developed within that brotherhood. Um, that's something that you can't replace or really find anywhere else outside of football you might think you you might you might take it for granted while you're playing and you think like life gonna be like this after football is over but as you know you know you've you've had to put the game down as well once you put the game down it's very hard to find um that type of
1: that's true you know that's true that's true
0: that type of brotherhood and camaraderie so I so that's that's the that's my fondest memory is of just hanging out with the guys that I played with, whether it be in in the locker room, in the weight room, or in the dormitories. Um, On the field, I think my favorite memory um, were the winning the insight.com bowl, and um, we also had a Virginia, we played, we had a big win over Virginia Tech when they were number two in the nation, um, down at Virginia Tech. And that game sticks out because I had a pretty good game and we won on like a last second touch. Lusaka scored, that, scored the winning touchdown in that game. Um, so that was a, that was sort of a high, you know what I mean? You know how it is playing down there. It's, it's big time. It's packed house. It was a primetime game. Like It was a big stage.
1: That was huge. That was huge. And so you talked about the brotherhood. I'm so there with you. You talked about the locker room, the weight room. See if you remember this story, man. There's a lot of fond memories I have of you making plays, telling jokes. But this one right here, do you remember sharing with one of our teammates? You asked a question: Have you ever dined at JB Gibbony's? <laughs> do you remember this story? So, <laughs> I, I, I I remember. <laughs> so, our our, 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 our our brother and former teammate Ty Gilliard. I don't know who else was there. I know the three of us was there. You asked the question, have you ever went to this all you can eat spot, JB Gibbonese? And Ty was thinking, he was thinking, he was like, uh, Yeah, man, I think yeah, I think so. He's like, Yeah, JB Gibbonies. Man, Dog, you had him going and going. And you was like, Man, that's your teammate, man. You ain't ever been on JB. <laughs> <laughs> so the kicker, yeah, yeah. our you teammate, don't know your teammate name? JB, his name is J B Gibbony. So you just add the Gibbonies. Man, I fell out, dog. Cause it sound like it could be a restaurant though, like a hockey. <laughs>
0: Bro, I I just I I was on people's heads all day every day. I I missed that. I missed that about school too. And I missed that just about youth in general. Like I, when I was young, I was just I was all day on 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 everybody.
1: Man, on it on it. Did you ever think about comedy? I can't do that, man. I probably could do that, but I don't want to do that. Got you, got you. Now now now, I guess you could probably have some comedy in your art though, in, in directing and some of your film work. You see that in the future
0: it's funny and it, 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 it's funny because I'm more drawn towards the drama you know and and that's i think comedy um comedy doesn't stimulate me as much uh like comedy is something that com- for me comedy is something that I watch when I just want to relax and be disengaged and really like have the t v watching me like really passively. Um, drama for me is something that gets a gets a rise out of me. I have a visceral reaction to certain drama. So that's the reason why I'm more into writing drama to see if I can produce moments that 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 people feel, you know, universally across the board, no matter what background. Because that's what films are about, right? It's about it's about characters who you Have don't know much about, you know, you haven't, you know, you've never seen a story about this type of person in the world, but yet and still there's something about them that's part of like a universal struggle that you could relate to, you know what I mean? So it's like you learning about them, but at the same time they're going through, they're producing these emotions in you that you think you would feel in that moment too, right? And that's that's what intrigues me about drama. I don't really get that from from comedy. I watch comedies when I'm just, I just don't know what to watch and I don't really feel like thinking about anything. I just want to laugh and chill.
1: I get that. I get that. So I was going to ask you that question because I, mean, I know you'd be very I mean, introspective, but with that though, very comical, engaging, hilarious, and, and the projects I've seen like speaks to like the drama and, and it's something that, that multiple people could, could learn from and go from and, and follow along and you tell an incredible story. With that in mind, when did you find out that you had a talent or a gift for writing and, and storytelling, or passion?
0: Um, orally, I think. Like, I mean, I, I've always, um, I've always tried to express myself creatively. Uh, like, I've written uh, poetry. I've written raps. I've written. Um, journals and things of that nature. So, and I like, I like telling people stories. I like being like, yo, you ain't gonna believe what happened, you know, where we just came from. And I stand and I tell people the whole story. So I've, I've always been a a storyteller. I just didn't have a sort of a medium to express, express what I wanted to express. So by the time I got done with football, I knew I was too old to be a rapper. (laughs) (laughs) so I I was like, you know, you're going to have to find a way to get these stories out. So what's something that you could like really start over with, start at the bottom with, and like really like learn the craft and, um, dedicate, dedicate time in the same way that you dedicated time to football, you know, and writing film and TV directing producing film and tv felt like it would hit a lot of um it would check a lot of those boxes for me you know what i mean i would get to express myself i would get to learn a new craft i would get to sh- have a voice and and share with people and maybe even affect lives and affect opinions about things and i've always been into the, that type of thing too like i you know me like i'm uh i'm opinionated. You know what I mean? I have I've always had opinions and I've always loved sharing my opinions with with people and disagreeing and debating and things like that. So Mm -hmm. um I didn't have that voice in football. You know you know how it is in in sports and particularly in football. It's like nobody's bigger than the team. Nobody's one voice is bigger than the team. So like a lot of a lot of unique voices in locker rooms get Quiet.
1: Right. Right. And so uh, I'm really excited to speak about, and and we're already there, life after football. But briefly, let's touch on the NFL because when we talk about more than an athlete, success off the field, like you embody what it means to be more than an athlete. So I want to quickly, though, speak about NFL. So how long did you play, some of the teams you played for, and some of um, your, your fondest moments, memories?
0: All right, so I was drafted in I was I was in the 2004 NFL draft. I got drafted late in the second round um to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um you
1: know what I mean? You the got the Chiefs. There it is. There it is. Kansas City Chiefs. I'm gonna pause there. How was draft uh, day for you? Um
0: stressful. <laughs> 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 it's a, so, uh so you know, so many expectations um so many things can happen you hear about the stories of people who think they're gonna get drafted but they don't my draft stock went up late so i i was i was always um from the beginning of my senior year and even before my senior year um i proud some commentators um and and journalists were asking me whether or not i was gonna come out early um um i never thought about coming out early i never gave that a serious thought um so but what i can say is that throughout my senior year at Pitt, i was um one of the premier tight ends in the nation right and ended up being story. the finalist for the for the Mackey award we
1: we'll um, go to the, the top tight end in the nation
0: right yep so um I, I knew that I would go somewhere in the draft. I just didn't know where. And a, and a lot of people were saying, second day, you know, maybe third, fourth, fifth round. Um. And after I ran at the combine, I ran faster than most tight ends. Expected. Um, and so my my stock went up. And so instead of going, you know, fourth or fifth round, they were saying third round, or you may go second round. We don't know. So having having all that on your mind on draft day like the people's expectations of where you're gonna go i never wanted to tell anybody that i thought i was going going high i always i ain't want to set nobody up for no type of disappointment yeah i didn't want i didn't want to miss the phone call my mom's crib did not have very good reception for t-mobile phones <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was nervous. Yes. Yeah, like, oh I man, I kept looking out the phone, find right?
0: Find a spot in the house, like, man, I only got one bar. I got two <laughs> bars I gotta get somewhere else in the house. I right. might be getting a phone call.
1: You're right about the window.
0: Standing um, by the window, not moving. Yeah, go ahead. Finally, the phone call came from the Chiefs, and they was like, you know, they asked me if I wanted to be, if I was interested in becoming the Chief. And I knew they was interested, but I was just a little bit. I'm like, y'all got Tony Gonzalez. Look
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, at <laughs> Hall of Famer, right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, y'all finna spend a draft pick on me? So, uh, they, uh, they, Tony had, Tony was coming off an of injury, so there was a couple things. It was that they didn't know exactly how he would be post-injury, but also they were looking at me as more of an H-back, um, type of tight end that could go back and forth in the, in the, in the to, from the backfield to the receiver, to the tight end, and move around a lot. Um, so that's the way they envisioned me. so they called, I got drafted higher than I expected to get drafted. My family was just you know beside themselves, everybody crying. I went out with my brothers that night and just you know, it was just soaking in life and I'm very um just just anxious about what what was ahead, you know and what it
1: meant. That's a beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing. So I know, Kansas City. Uh, the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Eagles. Where did you enjoy playing the most?
0: Ooh, that's tough. I enjoyed the playing of all of them, I and mean, I'm blessed to play for all of those organizations. Yeah. And I, I had fun at each for different reasons. You know, KC was my introduction to the league, and I was taken in by a bunch of old heads that um, were just good dudes. Tony Gonzalez is a good dude. Brian Waters, good dude. You know Will Will Shields and, and um, Willie Rolfe and just all, just Hall of Famers. I'm just I'm surrounded by Priest Holmes and I went from you know us rocking that pit to all of a sudden and you know how it is in college. You know everybody on the team is not good, right? So like, <laughs> right. A lot of them not so, they're not good, right? I mean, depending on who you playing. So we are going to games and you know like I. This part of our roster is probably going to play alright tonight, but this part of our roster is going to struggle. Right, right. So the big difference in going to the NFL is like, yo, everybody crossed the roster is good. Got you. Yep. You know, everybody could play. You know what I'm saying? With with a few exceptions there's obviously bust, but when I when I got to Kansas City, they was the number 3, number 2, number 3 offense in the league. Right, well, who's the head coach then? You know. Dick Vermeil. Vermeil, okay. Um And Al Saunders was the offensive coordinator. And, of course, he – that was the same team that won the Super Bowl with the Rams, greatest show on turf, right? Yep. So our offense was lights out. Um, And I was expected to contribute. I was expected to come in and contribute immediately. And um, I was having a really good camp. Of course, I started out slow. I, (laughs) I, I came into camp out of shape your first year the, come on rookie this, I'm telling you I, I'm telling you every single year <laughs> I came into the season out of shape like I right. just it, this, but part of it it was just the confidence that I had in myself I was like oh, I'll be alright <laughs> but, but but, my my, my coaches is looking at me like bro you do not look like the same dude that we saw on film right, right, like, right what's wrong with you right so I had I had coach pull me aside and say just that to me he was like yo I banged the table for you like I told I told everybody here that you was a player and like right now on film you're looking slow you're looking lethargic you're looking whatever and so that's that's really all I needed to hear so I was like all right I gotta turn it on real quick yeah and so from that point um had a great camp we went out on our first first preseason game scored a touchdown first game ever um up at the Giants mm. um was really giving it to guys at practice um, as a rookie, giving it to veterans in practice. Um, and then we got to our fourth preseason game down in Dallas. And, you know, the second half of the last preseason game in the NFL, that's where all of the guys who are probably not going to make the roster, that's when they play, right? Right. So, my spot wasn't in question. I knew that I was going to make the roster, but we didn't have any more tight ends to play. So even if they was like, oh, we should be resting Chris, he's going to be all right, he's going to be here. Um, the guys, the other guys in my tight end room was Tony Gonzalez and Jason Dunn, and they definitely wasn't putting them in the fourth preseason game in the second half. So it was like, all right, Chris, you got the rest of the game. You're going to you be the only you got third tight end, and you're you going to have to rock out. So... I did that, and they wanted to make me feel good about it. So they was like, let's throw him the ball a little bit since we – I know, you know, he don't want to be out there in the game with the scrubs. Just, you know, so let's throw him – so they call my number. I catch a little – I catch the little Y out, whatever. I get up, I break a tackle. I get up field. Somebody comes and does the little horse 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 collar tackle joint, grabs the back of my joint, falls on me. My leg snaps. Um, sort of like the same thing that happened to Dak a couple of weeks ago, but <laughs> so I, I broke my fibula. I broke my fibula down in Dallas, and so what started out as a really promising camp and promising career was devastating and heartbreaking. And I ended up spending most of my rookie year rehabbing and trying to figure out how to
1: run again. Wow! 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 That's tough. That's tough. Yeah! Wow, I, I, that had to be tough mentally to go through
0: that. I think a lot of people underestimate the mental side of injury. Um, the part of it is physically your body healing, but a lot of it is the the confidence that you have in putting that type of pressure and strain on such an important limb. We're talking about my leg. Like, we ain't talking about how you broke a finger or, you know, you pulled a muscle. We're talking about, like, nah, your leg broke. So, for me, a lot of my value is in my legs, you know? My legs and being able to catch the ball. So, me being a small tight end, a small faster tight end, if if I can't run or get out of my brakes as fast, I've I've lost my competitive edge. Yeah. You know, that that was that was my edge, was my, my quickness. Um, so mentally, you, you just don't know if you'll ever be the same player again. So a, a big part of rehab is believing in yourself and believing that if I work, 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 work my butt off, I'll be able to get back to the same level of play that I was at. And, you know, through
1: that I was able to go in and still play eight years in the league. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, do you feel that you were able to like fully hear, fully heal? Was it was it 100% you felt like your old self or was it like 98% like you, you just didn't it wasn't the same? I got all the way back. OK, I, I got all
0: the way back physically. Um, I think mentally um, it took a, it took a toll on me because I, I, I lost my momentum. I had a lot of momentum coming out of coming out of college, like from, you know, balling with balling with fits and playing on the top offense and playing on big stages to all right, now I gotta prove myself in the league and now I'm playing on a big stage and I'm doing my thing and then everything kinda comes to a halt and a standstill. And so the momentum that I had of just season after season after season of rocking, all of a sudden I'm watching. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, so, so mentally, I mean, physically, I physically physically I was straight. My my leg got good. I was able to run again, and run fast again, and, and do all those things. But mentally, I, I do
1: think that I lost a little bit. Eight years—that's incredible. I mean, they said I believe the average career of an NFL athlete is well, about three and a half years. It's the NFL stands for not for long. So eight years is a, is a strong feat. And so when you think about after the eight years, a lot of people, you know, they struggle with the transition life after football. How was it for you that transition from Chris Wilson, an NFL player, to no longer in the league? Bro, like, I always uh, during you heard you asked me
0: earlier if I could if I would do uh, stand up comedy and I'm like, no, nah, I can't do comedy. And then I had to check myself like, you know, I probably could do that. I always had confidence in myself that I could really do anything that I put my mind to. Mhm. Real for real. Yeah. All th- what I learned what I learned through football football gave me that confidence because before that I believe I believed it but I couldn't put any any concrete ac- accomplishment to it to back up to support what I I talk, I talk smack all day. I'm better than you. I do this, I do that. I right. don't do anything I want. I'm, I'm good. But I didn't have, I hadn't proven it, right? So, through f- what, what football did was it proved not to other people, it proved to myself that if I focus on becoming excellent at something and I put the work in to become excellent at something, I could reach the highest level. I, I know I, I know I can do it. Right, 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 now, right. You know, so so after football was so even after injury, I knew I would get back and play and score touchdowns. I did that, and then when it was time to put the game down, it was like I still had that confidence. Like I got other stuff that I could do. Like I, I go pick up and learn another language. I will go pick up and learn another skill. I go pick like, I, I excuse me. I've always had confidence that whatever I whatever I want to do, all it takes is me actually going and putting in the time and the work to go do it. I'm, and it's going to happen. It's going to manifest.
1: What you said was so powerful and uh, young people should hear that is proving to yourself, you know, first. So is it, you're not even worried about proving to other people, proving to yourself, because that self-motivation, that, you know, that keeps you going. And so uh, thinking about life after football, UCLA, Talk to us about UCLA. Why I bring up UCLA? UCLA, man. You know, I went to law school
0: first. And so when I was in a league, you know, there are sort of off the field programs that you can get into that teach you skills, right? And so that happened to be, when I was in San Diego, there's all there's every team has a director of player development and it's their job to help guys navigate off the field issues right and off the field development right so our player development guy arthur hightower and out in san diego he was like yo you know dub you you're a bright dude like they got these programs, business programs. One at Harvard, one at Northwestern, one at UPenn. And I think one was at Stanford. And he was like, I'm thinking about going out and doing it, like, you should you should do it. Like, fill out the application, write the essay, do whatever, like, come do this business program. And so I did that. Um, I took his, I t- I took him up on that and I went out. When I went out to the program at Harvard, we ended up going to the Har- one at Harvard. And so while I was there, sort of learning the executive education program, we went to go play basketball um in our free time, and there was a lost there was a black man in there playing basketball who was a law student at harvard and so we shot around a little bit and I ended up chopping it up with him about just what he felt like <clears throat> the differences were between going to law school and going to business school and What it boiled down to for me was business school will teach you how to numbers and how to do business and will give you a network of people to do business with um law school will teach you how to navigate the united states of america right we are we are a nation of law so if if you learn how to be a lawyer be an attorney you really can do whatever you want yeah you can go you can go in you can go into business if right. you want to you can go into po- politics if you want to you can go into so for me, it wasn't a decision of like I want to become a lawyer. It was more so like I want to train myself to be an entrepreneur and to be able to do whatever i whatever I want to do and and know how to take steps to go do it so um I was already in California playing for the Chargers. I came back to to the East Coast of Baltimore to play my last year in Baltimore, and if you remember. Um, in two thousand eleven, there was a work stoppage. Yep. In the NFL, there was a, the NFL lockout, and so they told us, "Don't come back. Don't come. Basically, y'all can't come in the building. <laughs> it's a work stoppage. You, you can't come to work. It's right. Like it's it's like the opposite of a strike. So when you on strike, it's a it's all of the workers saying we not coming to work. When it's a lockout, it's the company saying we hey, <laughs> locking the door. <laughs> right. Right. And, right." And, right so i took that time to study for the lsat um i took that time to sort of plan my transition out of the league because i felt like i was getting older and sort of nearing that age where my body couldn't do the same things that it could do 10 years ago so um in planning my transition i I studied for the lsat i took the lsat I started applying to law schools, so by the time I actually ended up in Baltimore for that season, and it was one day after practice where I went back to the training room, and I think I was getting an IV because I'm always dehydrated, um, and... While I was in the training room after practice, I got a phone call from a California number. I'm like, who's this? I pick up the phone and it's like, hey, Chris, you know, we just want to let you know that you've been accepted to UCLA School of Law, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, yeah. So now Mm. I sort of had my transition plan. And so I signed a one-year deal in Baltimore, and I knew that once that year was
1: over, I was going to move back to California to go to UCLA. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible, man. That's that's inspirational. Inspiring. So, how was it at UCLA? Beautiful.
0: Uh, it was so beautiful that I ended up staying for another program. I did the film program. After that, I stayed on campus for another four years.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um... UCLA, it's a great, great place to be. Beautiful. Now, was um was Coach Rose there any time you were there?
0: Not at UCLA, no.
1: Okay, because you know, so Coach Rose, a former defensive coordinator when we were at Pitt, he ended up coaching at UCLA. I think he was a DB coach.
0: Yeah, I, w- I think if if he was there, I would have went. I'd made it. a point to go go check him out. I don't think I, w- I was there from. Um, I was at UCLA from two thousand and twelve through
1: really like through two thousand nineteen. Man. Y- y'all, man, he was there. Y'all don't think he, he, he just, you just didn't know about it. I think he was there probably in 2017. Okay. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I think he's at Arizona, Arizona State right now. I missed him.
0: I missed him. I did link up with, um, I did end up linking up with Yogi and Brennan at one point because, of course, Yogi was out there um, doing his Pac-12 commentating thing. Right. Um, and Brent, and it was also coaching at USC, and Brennan was coaching at USC too, I think.
1: Those pit ties, so former teammates Brennan and Yogi, and so you went law school, film school. We talked about a little bit, you know, about your writing and also the smell of summer. What's on the horizon? What's coming up for you as it relates to the film industry?
0: Um, what's on my plate right now? I'm a I'm, uh... freelance producer at NFL Films and so what that entails is um, contributing as an independent filmmaker uh, contributing to their to their programs, to their TV shows, to their films, to their commercials to the things that they produce at NFL Films so for example um, I get to work on a number of shows so just in the past I'd say um, three months. I've worked on HBO's Hard Knocks. I've worked on um, Showtimes inside the NFL. Um, I've worked on a show called Turning Point, which um, comes on FS1. Uh, ESPN Soundtracks. Um, I'm right now in the process of um, putting together Uh, Thanksgiving commercial for Ford that will air just before halftime of the
1: uh, Thanksgiving game. Ooh, that's huge. I look forward to seeing that. I look forward to seeing that. So it's for Ford, right? Ford? Ford. It's 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 a joint thing between Ford and the NFL. I'll be looking for it, looking for it. And so, how has the pandemic affected your work? Has it made it more challenging?
0: Yeah, tremendously. Um, just, I mean, I've mean, i only been at NFL Films for two years And there's a stark difference Between last year and this year um, The work atmosphere is As you know, filmmaking is very collaborative And in a building like NFL Films In a studio like that um, People are The hallways bustling Lots of traffic In and out of people's offices Sharing ideas um, A lot of interaction and this year, um, because of all of the COVID restrictions and precautions, everybody pretty much has to stay in their own silo. Um, so you you know you go to work and you go to your office and get your job done and all of the interaction is done via Zoom like mm-hmm. we're doing now um, uh, and Microsoft teams and you know other programs that allow you to connect with people without actually, being in the
1: same room with them. Right, right, right. And so, we work with young people, collegiate athletes, and also grade school student athletes. What advice do you have for young people who are looking to get into this film production industry?
0: You know, my any advice that I, I'll, give you, I'll give you two things. I, I'll talk about just in general, whatever you want to do, and then film specifically. Okay. Um, getting into a career I would say um it's a you got to look inside yourself and figure out what you're passionate about and if you find something that you're passionate about and that you want to do uh you have to put your heart and soul into it and you you have to you have to grind at it um as if you you might not see the results tomorrow. You might not see the results next week or next month. But you have to consistently go hard over the course of time and everything that you want to happen in that space for you will eventually happen. But only if you put the work in. Only only if you put the work in. Yeah.
1: That's good. That's good. That's good. Um specif- specifically the film um or like uh, someone who's a creative yeah
0: creative um i would say a, a, you know immer- immerse yourself in it um so if you're it, you have to know all of the all of the disciplines and all of the ins and outs of it so even if you want to be a writer you still have to figure out what directors are doing for me, as a film director, I kind of have to know everybody's job. So I need to know what the sound mixers do. I need to know what the, what the editors do, what the cinematographers doing, what the gaffers doing. I need to, I need to know everybody's job because filmmaking is a very, it, filmmaking is about collaboration and communication. And so we're all trying to tell this story and so I have to, I have to be able to speak the language of my lights guy. I have to be able to speak the language of my, my, my grip. I have to learn how to speak the language of my cinematographer talking about cameras and this and that, talking about computer programs. So, the director's job is to, um, yes, give people direction and tell them what to do, but you you also have to be respectful of people's level of expertise. And so while you're the expert at directing, everybody else is an expert in their own particular area. So it's your job to communicate effectively with them and to sort of step back and let them do their thing. so you end up answering a lot of questions so it's like oh do you want this to be red or do you want it to be blue oh do you want the color temperature to be this or do you want it to be that if i don't know all of those things and if i'm not able to give them a answer that makes sense like that then i'm not going to have i'm not going to have command of my crew You know, I'm not, I'm not going to have the respect of my crew unless my communication is on point and I know what I'm talking about and I'm very decisive and and I know my vision and I know what I want. So long story short, be open to be open to collaborating with people and work
1: on community, work
0: on learning everything so that you can communicate it effectively.
1: That's, that's great. It's interesting. So. As I think about some of our earlier conversations, some of the things you said about being opinionated, um, about being a you know a learner, about being enjoying the brotherhood and, and, and build, building with people, it's almost like you you were like taking steps to like build where you are now, you know, because I mean, you're like a coach as a director and be able to bring people together, be able to communicate, be decisive. I mean, it's incredible to see to see your journey. And so as we wrap up. The mission of Orange Arrow is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field, off the track, out of the pool, wherever the playing arena may be. Why is it important to be successful outside of your sport? Being more than athlete, sharing with young people.
0: Because you can't
1: be an athlete
0: forever. You know, you're going to have to be a man or a woman your whole life, you know, and being an athlete is only a small part of your life now if you if you do the athlete thing right it will all it will also contribute to your manhood or to your womanhood right but the the ultimate the ultimate goal is always to be the best man or woman that you could be that's that's first priority right sports is just a part of your journey so i would say that's the reason why that it's important you can't just get so wrapped up in sports that you feel like this is my this is the most Number one, most important aspect about me and aspect about my life. No, the most important thing about you is how you conduct yourself as a man or a woman, right? What your what your goals are, what your um, what your motivation is, what your work ethic is. What how, are, are you? Are you? Are you kind? Are you a good citizen? Are, are you honest? Are you? Do people trust you? Like those those things are going to give you success in any arena right Right. working on yourself as a person is going to bring you success in any arena sports is just sports is just a um a fun way a fun and exciting way to learn life lessons
1: there it is there it is chris christopher wilson k-dub aka chill my brother man thank you for your time Send my best to your mom and the rest of your family. Appreciate you, boss. Looking forward to the great work uh, that lies ahead of you. No, appreciate you. My Thank dog. Me. My dog. Peace.